Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. What's up, what's up, what's up, what's up, y'all? This is Classified. This is Mocha Only. This is Sean Price. Yeah, Ghostface Killer. This is Quake Matthews. What's up, my brother Ali? Fight Diggy, Tribe Called Quest. Eloquent, man. What up, Styles Peter Ghost. This is Ab Soul. This is K.O. And you listening to The Come Up Show, where that feel-good music lives. Hey. This is show that you come up on, yeah. This is spot that you come up strong. What's going on? Welcome to The Come Up Show podcast. Thank you for joining me. I'm Martin Bauman. I first met my guests seven years ago when I was at a conference and he was a keynote speaker delivering his message to Stay Driven. This was way before I had anything to do with the Come Up Show. I was just a kid with a book full of rhymes and seeing him on stage made me want to get involved in hip-hop and everything since then has kind of fallen into place so it's always good talking to him and reminding me of where the dream started. Dio is the hardest working dude in music that I know of. He's an artist, a businessman, a Guinness World Records setter, a mentor to other artists, and that's just scratching the surface. He's got a new album out called Dwayne Gibson, and I caught up with the man to talk about motivation, the music business, the meaning of life, and lots more. Take a listen. Just catch you off the phone after you're working out. Uh, it leads to a perfect question to open this up. One of the things that I like has, has sort of defined you is this uh, mantra, stay driven, this yeah. idea of uh, such a such a work ethic, a constant work ethic. Where does that come from? I think it really comes from um, my family and the community communities that I was raised in. I mean, my parents were always about hard work, and my dad's a minister. Well, he was a minister. He retired. And the thing about it was, kids would always tease me and say, your dad, he only works one hour a week because they would only see him do a sermon on a Sunday. Whereas what I saw my dad do was he was working all the time, whether it was going to the hospital to visit people or doing funerals or just in his office doing his work. And I just always saw him working. So it's the same thing for me as an MC. or when people view it, they see you on stage and they're like, oh, that must be a lot of fun doing a set for 20 minutes. But there's a lot of work that goes into that. They see the they see the stage performances, they see the albums, but they don't see the work behind all that. Yeah, precisely. And then what I was saying about communities is places that I'm from are, are you know, they're not tough communities, but they're working class and hardworking communities. I grew up in places like Sarnia and Sault Ste. Marie, which are known for their steel plants or their industrial plants. And my dad comes from Sydney, Nova Scotia, which is another steel town. My mom's from Saskatchewan, which is a farming community. So in all those communities, um, you have to work hard. <laughs> it's not even a question. So I really try to apply that to my music. Uh, tell me a little bit about your, your upbringing. Your mom, you're saying, from the prairie, Saskatchewan. Your dad from Nova Scotia. And then for you to grow up in places like Sault Ste. Marie and uh, Sarnia, a very diverse background all over the map in Canada. What sort of uh, an influence does that have on somebody growing up? Well, I think it makes me very Canadian. And <laughs> it's funny for me because the question I get asked probably the most is, where are you from with the lead-in of, oh, I thought you were American, <laughs> <laughs> because maybe because I grew up on the border to the States. But, um, but I think it's very distinctly Canadian. And when I was a kid, I went to Expo 86, which was a big um, – event in Vancouver and we, we took an RV driving across from Saskatchewan so I got to experience what Alberta and, and BC was about and same way in 87 we drove out to 
Nova Scotia. So we went up to Montreal and saw the Expos play. We went to the Magnetic Hill in New Brunswick. So I experienced all those Canadian things. And I think it's unfortunate that some kids nowadays, um, they might just go to an all-inclusive, you know, when they're eight or nine and, and get a little bit of culture, um, but you're not getting so much when you go to an all-inclusive. Mm-hmm. So it's unfortunate that plane tickets are so expensive to travel across Canada that unless you have family, you might not go out and see it. You just got back from Europe a little while ago, too. Tell me about the, the value of traveling and seeing new places. Yeah, back to Europe and probably back again pretty soon. It was my third trip over there in the last five months. So I think it really starts for me the first time I went to MEDEM, which is the world's largest music conference in Cannes, France. And that's part of the reason why I went on this trip was to to go back to that conference. But I went to it for the first time in 2005, and I remember not knowing anybody. (laughs) Hmm. Um, The one guy that I did know was Nick, who managed DL Incognito. (laughs) So Uh I I barely knew him, but we we were like, well, we're hip-hop guys, so I kicked it with him. But um, I went from not knowing anybody to coming back, meeting a few more friends. And one of the people I met was a woman named Henka Maduro, who said, I run this hip-hop conference in Rotterdam. It's the biggest one in the world. And I was like, oh, cool. And then I met this guy named Fat Philly, who's like, um, he's a promoter doing shows and DJing. And a few years later, I had the chance to go over to New School Rules in Rotterdam and be part of a Canada Blast. We were able to organize it so a few Canadian acts got to play. And then two years after that, we brought like six Canadian acts. And then this past year, um, earlier this month, we brought like 12 Canadian acts. Wow. But it all started from that, that conference. And at the same time, Fat Philly started up a big festival in Croatia called the Fresh Island Festival. And um, a few years later, he brought out Art of Fresh out and, and Snoop Dogg and KRS and ASAP were also on the bill. But I think it all started from those relationships. It all started from just getting on a plane and traveling. And even though I didn't know anybody, I had to learn how to talk to people and make those connections. And what sort of perspective comes from seeing these different places, seeing how different people live around the world? I mean, you you with uh, Slack, I, I believe you guys went to Tokyo before that, uh, yeah. too. Yeah, so, I mean, a well-traveled guy, well-traveled across Canada, too. What sort of an impact has that had on you? I think the universal message is hip-hop, and that's what I love about traveling to a place like Japan where people didn't understand us when we were on the streets and asking for directions, but when we're in the place and doing our music, people had their hands up and they were bobbing their head, and you could tell they were understanding what we were communicating. And at the same way, it's it's like when you go to shows around the world and you see how much people respond to hip-hop. And I think for me it's also the type of hip-hop that especially in Europe that they appreciate that it's not you know just a trap hip-hop or some of the more popular American styles right now but it's it's classic hip-hop um, they're really checking for the lyrics that I love when I get down off the stage and people will quote something that I just said on stage and, mm-hmm. and to me that's one of the things that I love is just people loving and enjoying and celebrating hip-hop. What are some of the moments that have stuck out to you over the years where you have those interactions with fans? Somebody comes up to you, they might have a story to tell you about how your music has affected them or, or they, they have a very you know, interesting life story. Can you pick out one or, or maybe two that come to mind? Yeah, it's kind of like they blend together for me, too, <laughs> because, um, like, it's it's cool when somebody I might see, at, like, I've had it happen at the mall, somebody would be like, yo, D.O., man, like, um, yo, man, like, you came to my, my elementary school, and, like, this kid, it's not a kid anymore, he's, like, 17, 18 years old, and, and saying that, or um, just when I was out of school the other day, 
uh, one of the grade eights said, do you remember me from the last time? And, you know, I'm like, yeah, you look familiar. And they were like, but I wasn't at this school. I was at this school six years ago. So it's like that kind of blows your mind as well, right? Um, and then it's, it's the other things that when you go to a conference, like when I'm at New School Rules, I might see somebody I hadn't seen in six to eight years. And so they might say, you know, I follow you on Twitter. I follow you on Instagram. And, and you know, it's, it's dope to see what you're doing and, and that you're still doing it. And that's one of the, the most gratifying things is, is when somebody says, you know, are, are you still doing that rapping thing? And, and I could be like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what keeps you, I mean, you have this song with Maestro. Uh, we're talking about how it never gets old. What keeps you in love with the music after all these years? For sure, it's got to be seeing the new generation of MCs because I love seeing MCs that like just really want to follow their dream. To, to make this happen and do it. Like when I went over to um, Amsterdam in January, my man Robbie G and Ill Vibe came out with me and, and they're two of the, the younger guys on the scene and they just have such a passion of wanting to make this their career. And then when I went out a couple of weeks ago, guys like Tona and Quake and Sharky were out there and, and same way, these guys just love hip hop and they represent it to the fullest. So when I see their energy, you know, it only makes me more excited <laughs> because mm -hmm. they kind of, they want to see where else I'm going to take them. Like they, they didn't really realize I was going to show them this, this crazy thing. You know, I, I hooked up a boat for everybody to stay on. And then we shot a video on another boat and then took them out. And, and we did a crazy show in Amsterdam that night. So I love their energy of them experiencing it for the first time. Just makes it never get old for me. More on that. Uh, you know, I, when I, had the chance to speak to Maestro. This might have been a year or two ago. I remember what surprised me so much is him being the guy that he is, still learning from the newest artists that are coming out and taking a page from what they're doing, checking up on what they're doing. Uh, what sort of things have you picked up from the youngest guys in the scene? Right now, it's always about being active and being out there. I think that's one of the things Maestro's really adapted to well, as too, because I think the old school way of thinking is, you know, I want to make an album, I'm going to take a year, I'm going to make 100 tracks and narrow them down to 12. And, and I think the new school way of thinking is, I'm going to get some beats. Um, I might only have five songs, but let me put those out. Or I might only just come up with this song last night in the studio, let me put it right out. And let me shoot a quick video for it and, and turn it around and put it out within a week. And I think that fresh way of thinking is an important thing for all artists to really understand and really implement in their careers is that you can't just sit on music anymore. You really want it to be fresh and to be vibrant and to put it out as soon as possible. I want to go back to your dad for a second. We just celebrated Father's Day recently. Uh, tell me a little bit about your dad and the influence that he's had on you. What sort of things that you've picked up from him? Yeah. My dad always taught me to speak from the soul and to be true to who I am. And that's something I've, I've tried to personify as a rapper is my identity um, being maybe of mixed race or being Canadian and having a generation of Canadians, I could never really understand or relate to people that, that just were first generation and that one expected me to come up with a, you know, where are you really from? Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, learning about where I'm from in Nova Scotia and, you know, never having a doubt of, of what my identity was because um of what my dad instilled in me and, and taking me on trips to places like we, because we lived in Sarnia, we would go to the African American Museum in Detroit, or we would go to the Motown Museum there and, and just learn about culture and learn about history. And 
years later, I can really understand the importance of all that. Yeah, being, I mean, being a father yourself now, what sort of things click to you now? Like, oh, this is what, you know, my dad was going through with me, or, or how much more does that strengthen uh, an understanding of, of fatherhood for you? Well, I think it makes you look at where you're at in your life as compared to where your parents or your father was at this point in his life. Because I think about it, you know, um, you when you're a parent, you just go about it on the day-to-day. And when you're a kid, you don't realize the sacrifices maybe that your parents are making. Maybe it's just working hard. Maybe it's doing a job that they don't want to do or going through tough times at work. But um, I think the thing I've learned, you know, dealing with adversity in the industry is, you just got to grin and bear it. You just got to go through it. You can't complain it, c- complain about it. You just have to go and do it. And how does that work with uh, being your own boss like it is, especially in music, uh, and being in Canada, tough to make a living, to then be a father? What sort of uh, challenges have that provided you and ways that you have found to rise to that challenge? I think it's just about making it work. Like I said, man, like, I mean, for, for me nowadays... Would I prefer sometimes to just be in the studio and making music? Yeah, sometimes, but then my son will come down and he'll start bobbing his head to something. And that will make me say, oh, maybe I should keep on rolling with that idea. Or when I'm playing a demo of that song in the car and, and my kids start rapping along to it, I'm like, oh, okay, maybe that hook is catchy enough for, for them to get it. So um, it changes a little bit, but it's, it can be a good change. It's just about making it all integrate as one. I want to quote a piece out of uh, an essay you wrote before called The Death of Socially Conscious Hip-Hop. I found this. I can't remember oh, where I found this. This is an, a university essay, right, from, from York? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So this... Uh, I'm Praising quote... Mace, maybe. <laughs> this My says... Uh, lyricist at the time. Conscious rap <laughs> stresses an awareness of oneself. To gain an awareness, one must know where they are, where they're going, and where they've been. While ignored in textbooks and school curriculum, blacks have a greater difficulty in finding out who they are. The dark cloud of slavery and its present-day repercussions of racism make it seldom that blacks are showcased for their accomplishments. Conscious rap is important because it illustrates black history and idealizes its heroes. Tell me a little bit about what what you were trying to say there. Uh, I I can only think of two things when I I hear about that and, and what that paper what I remember about it since it was like 18 years ago, maybe. But uh, the things that stick out is I used to love listening to Razkaz back in the day, and he had a record called Nature of the Threat, which was like a five, six-minute long, just rapid, no choruses at all, but just rapping and putting lyrics on there about history. And I remember how you know interested I was in just learning about that and, and hearing raps like that. And at the same time, Mace was really popular. And, and I remember Mace would say things like, you know, I don't understand the language of people with broke money. And I remember it just felt like whenever he was rapping, he would say, you know, if you're broke or if you're not making money, then I'm not trying to hear you or you're not successful as a rapper. And for me, that wasn't what success equated to um, because I grew up along MCs like KRS-One. And, and I remember listening and knowing all the lyrics to my philosophy and, and that knowledge of self that they were talking about. So um, at that time, I was writing that. I was listening to Common Sense, Common, mm-hmm. <laughs> now. But um, those were the rappers that really influenced me around that time of just having that knowledge of self. And especially being at college and university, you're, you're surrounded by people that have that way of thinking. Um, nowadays, you know, I, I love jamming out to some of those Mace records even, but um, I, I like also having a little bit of that conscious in there. 
I want to ask you a little bit about growing up on a border city. I had a conversation with the guy. He grew up in Windsor, and he said there's something yeah. unique, very unique about growing up in a city like Windsor or perhaps Sarnia, where you have that uh, the border right. I mean, you have the states right across the border. You're getting American radio stations. You're getting influx of hip hop coming in from different places. What is that like uh, living in a place like Sarnia and growing up there? Well, especially with the D. Because Detroit is a legendary city. You could go around the globe and, and you could say Detroit and people kind of understand what you mean or they'll really know what you mean. And it has such a rich, rich history, a rich culture. And I think that's also what has shaped Sarnia in a lot of respects because um, it was the least racist city that I, I've lived in uh, when it comes to small towns. And, and I think one of the reasons for that is because a lot of those parents – grew up listening to Motown and that Detroit radio that they could get the reception from living in Sarnia. And for me, I was listening to JLB and listening to the rap blast for two hours every Saturday and have my tape ready to record. Or when a new album came out on a Tuesday, I could go across to the States and go buy it. Whereas in Toronto at the time, you would have to pay an import price um, if, if, if that album even came. So instead of buying a a CD for $13, it was going to be like $26. And who really wants to go buy a CD for 26 bucks? So yeah. for me, I felt it was a good advantage in the sense that I was being able to tap into that. And when it came to rapping and seeing some MCs from the States, it just gave me a better idea where I stood because sometimes as a Canadian MC at the time, you just weren't sure how you would stack up against the American MCs of where everything was happening at the time. Uh, I want to bring up another quote. This is from somebody by the name of Robin Sharma. So that's a familiar yeah. name to you. Average performers work hard to fit in. Ultra performers work really, really hard to stand out. Uh, what do you like about that quote? Yeah, I think when you start at anything, you really want to try to fit in. Uh, when you start out at high school, you see the cool kids rocking it like this, and you want to wear the same clothes that they have. But as you start to learn yourself, you really want to stand out from the crowd. And, and as an MC, you, you have people that inspire you, people that you might sound like when you start out. But again, you want to separate yourself from the pack. And for myself, I want to do, and, and what I pursue currently as well, is, is just really stand out from the pack. That um, I think especially because the only other MC that's out there right now that came from where I'm from um, at the time was, was Slacker. So we always kind of felt like outcasts to, to the Toronto system because we weren't from Toronto. And, you know, I, I love Toronto and I rep it around the globe, but, but definitely coming into the city I, and being here for, for several years, I always felt kind of as an outcast, but it doesn't have to be a good, bad thing. I think it's been a, a blessing. Uh, this is another quote I want to ask you about. The words that you use to define reality are the words that will propel you to success or failure so make sure you use words that reflect ambition, positivity, and power. This came from a, a blog post you were talking about, uh, writing about the difference between working out yeah. versus training. Uh, tell mm -hmm. me a little bit about more about that uh, that line of thinking. I think it was uh, the documentary The MC, where Raekwon was talking about, you know, Tupac and Biggie. He was just saying about like how they were talking about death all the time and, and how they kind of manifested that in a way. And he's like, I don't want to be going down that road. And for me, it's the same way. It's like, you know, when I write my raps and, and when I write certain songs, it, it's to put that training in my mind. I wrote a song called They Don't Want It Like Us because 
that's a song that just will inspire myself. I, I'm hoping to inspire other people, but on the days and the mornings that I don't want to, to work out or to do my emails or to write some songs or, or even to do a show, I have to put myself in that mind state of, you know, I want it. I want it like when I was 15 years old and I dreamed of, of being in this position. And the words you use really do shape that up, that, that sometimes if you just say, oh, I'm going to work out today, it, it can almost sound like you're going through the motions. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you say you're going to train, it's more specific, it's more just passionate. And it, it's better when you're explaining it to somebody else as well, that like, oh, man, I, I, can't, I can't do it, man, I, I got to work out. You know, you might say it like that, but if you say, man, I can't do it, I got to train today. The other person will be like, "Oh, okay. But what are you training for?" <laughs> yeah. um, well, I'm just training, man. <laughs> but but uh, I think it definitely affects that other person per, person's perspective of like, "Oh, maybe I shouldn't bother him today because you know he's training. He's he's definitely doing it for a reason." Mm-hmm. This latest album that you've got, Dwayne Gibson. How come you choose to give it, you know, the the your actual name treatment on this one? You've had plenty of albums in the past but now this time it's it seems much more rooted in i guess yourself it's i mean why 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 now and why is this the right time because i think it's easier to search for on google (laughs) (laughs) well the other reason is because it's kind of in the line of what we're saying you know once you've been doing something for a long time you kind of come into your own and for me Dwayne Gibson is who I am, but I'm also D.O., and I have those two different personalities. And the the further I go in the game, it's almost like they've merged into one. So I felt like this was a great way to, to talk about that and, and to showcase that. Um, some people just assume that, oh, D.O., you know, he speaks at schools. He's just positive, happy, happy. But, like, I wanted to have songs like 100% where I was just, you know, rapping hard. But at the same time, I wanted to have songs like Follow Me that were inspirational. I wanted to have songs like Getting in the Way with, with Slacker that had that, that funky, catchy groove and talking about females. You know, I wanted to cover a lot of those bases because I think that represents who I am. Looking at your career now, you seem like a guy who's got it figured out. You've got you know, everything on track. You, you've got a measure of success and uh, you're able to look back at, and, and offer advice to other people coming up. Uh, tell me about a time uh, in your career when you felt challenged and you felt like there were roadblocks or glass ceilings. Um, I, I think it was like nine years ago, right around this time. I, was, uh, I came out with a mix CD called Undisputed 2, and I was really excited about it. I felt like I did some really good music for it. And I, had, I teamed up with this promoter to do a concert, but also I wanted to make it kind of the release party for it, right? And it was downtown Toronto, and and um, it wasn't so much the case back then, but it was the case that night that there was going to be a lot of MCs on a bill. So some of my friends showed up, you know, good amount of people, and I remember just chilling and kicking it. And um, time was going on, and and Drake was in the building too. He was just chilling, taking it in, and and I started talking to him about grants, mm-hmm. and he was like, Ah, nah, man, like. I think I'm good. I don't even want to apply. And I was like, you sure? <laughs> but he's like, nah, I think it's all good. And uh, then J.D. Era went up too, and, and J.D. Era did it up. But time kept on going, and there were still a few acts to go, and I hadn't come up, and you know, I was supposed to be the headliner. But what happened was I didn't even get a chance to perform because the acts drew too late. There was a problem with one of the last acts, 
And so at this party that I thought was going to be my release party, that people came and got my CD, I didn't even get a chance to perform. Mm -hmm. So I remember just driving away that night, hanging out with one of my boys, just being like, man, like, I hate Toronto. I hate the Canadian scene. And just really frustrated. But uh, I remember the next day I got up and I was back on the grind once again. Tell me about uh, the rules that you live by, sort of philosophy that keeps you going. I think it's really important to have goals just in the sense of you want to know where you're going. <laughs> like one of the things I'm doing this morning is just just planning out some like second quarter of 2016 because I want to know, you know, what spots I'm going to be hitting and where I'm going to be going and what projects are going to be dropping. And when I meet up with a lot of rappers, they can't even tell me what they're doing, you know, by the end of summer. <laughs> they haven't thought beyond that. And that's one of the key things I've learned in my career is that you really have to take the reins and you have to control it. Um, you know, some rappers are like, oh, I need a manager to do that for me. Or I need a label was the, the old way to do it. But it really depends on yourself and your team and the people you're surrounded with to, to really come up with those plans and then implement them. Because once you know where you're going, it's a lot easier to get there. So right now you are literally planning an entire year ahead from now and you have you have things written on calendar of things that you'll be doing 2016. Oh yeah, I got the big board out downstairs, <laughs> you know, planning it all out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, really like I'm already into like September, October of that because mm -hmm. I, I have already shows booked for 2016. Like I, I book up a lot of my February um, stage-driven performances already and then just working on the festivals that I want to do next summer and just really putting those in motion. Uh, I want to bring it back to the, the story you just told of that mixtape release party. I think a, a quote that I've pulled up, uh, this is another blog post that you'd written before, sort of uh, in a similar line. One thing uh, that comes from uh, Drew Brees' book, the quote that yeah. says, experience is what you gain when you don't get what you want. Uh, tell me a little bit about that. Well, I've got a lot of experience in the game. <laughs> I mean, I think one thing that um, a lot of people share as a veteran in the game, regardless of the sport you play, is you don't always just dwell on your, your wins. You think about the losses. <laughs> you know, you think about the times maybe you came up short and what more you can do, but you don't necessarily dwell on them. You try to use them as inspiration. Um, and what I think about Drew Brees is I know every time that he got knocked down or people didn't, think he was going to follow through one of the things he, he says in the book was I went down to the treadmill and I did like an hour on the treadmill just to show him and for me it's it's like it's like I say with that mixtape party you know I was frustrated by the end of the night I was like I'm done with Canadian hip-hop I'm done with Toronto I'm going to the states but the next morning I woke up and was just like let's do it you know um, and there's a lot of moments in my career where I could think about that too where you go to do a show and maybe it's a show for exposure and it's not that great of a show. So you get frustrated you get knocked down and, and um, I give it up for the MCs that I've seen over the years that went through that, but are still in the game and still doing it. Whereas I can also tell you about a lot of MCs that, you know, just, just weren't down to do it anymore. And, and that's all good too, but it's nice when you can hang out in there and taste victory. Like when we, like I, I say, when we went out to Amsterdam um, and did this show, I remember a couple of the artists came up to me. Like I had all the the plan for the show all set up, who was going when, and a couple said, you know, you mind if I, I go early? 
because it was like 1130 and, and the crowd was starting to leave. Mm-hmm. Right. So they were like, you know, I want to go on. I want to make sure people are seeing me perform. Right. And kind of everybody was in a circle around. They weren't standing up front. So a couple of those rappers went on and a couple more people came in. But now it's like 1.32 in the morning, maybe 2, 2.30 when I went up. I was the last one. And the place was packed. <laughs> mm-hmm. Because one of the things I knew was like Amsterdam's a late crowd. Mm-hmm. There was a pub crawl that was finishing. <laughs> um, and I'd been out on the streets hustling, bringing people in because I'd see somebody walk by. Somebody had a, a Blue Jays hat on and happened to be with like five, six people. So I said, why don't you guys come in? <laughs> and... Um, yeah, by the end of the night, it was just crazy. And right after that show, when we got down and, and we were just jamming, we were just celebrating. And I knew for a lot of those artists, you know, maybe they hadn't had a great show like that in a little while. Or even just to say, hey, man, I came up wanting to be a rapper, and now I'm doing shows in Amsterdam. I felt glad for them, and they hung in there to get that victory. What's something at this point in your career that you haven't done yet, but you'd still like to do? I like to tour every continent, to do a show in, in every continent. So I always try to just build my, my network in different continents, just plant those seeds, in, you know, for those times to come up. But then sometimes I say I can't get ahead of myself because I also want to go back to places. Like right now what's happening is my man Famous is out in Taiwan, and he's at the, the Grammys of Taiwan. So mm-hmm. I got my man Diz, North Star Entertainment's representing out there. And for me, that's a great thing that, that fame can be doing it up in Taiwan and leading the charge there when we're building more in the Asian territories, whether it's Japan or Korea, or Singapore. And so as much as I want to go down to Africa or to Australia, I'm like, ah, I kind of want to get back to Tokyo. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's some opportunities out there. So uh, sometimes that's that's what I have to dial myself back in and say, I, I want to go back to these places. Uh, final question for you, and I'll give you the chance to say whatever you'd like as well. Uh, what is the meaning of life to you? I'm going to get deep. <laughs> very, very deep, yes. <laughs> well, for me, and maybe because I'm a Libra, you know, it's all about balance. And that's one thing I've probably learned the most. I was watching this movie called Danny Collins. A couple of days ago, did you ever hear about that movie? No, I haven't heard about it. It's with Al Pacino. Al Pacino plays a singer. Mm-hmm. And the breakdown of the movie is that he gets a letter from John Lennon. But he doesn't know he got a letter from John Lennon. It was like 30 years ago that John <laughs> Lennon wrote him a letter, but he just never got it. And the letter just had to be about um, stay true to yourself as an artist. Don't let making money affect you, things like that. And he wishes he got the letter because he kind of sold out as a musician. He's just doing his one-hit wonder song for like 30 years, and he's made a lot of money doing it, but he's just not happy doing it. And for me, I'm glad that I could be at a point in my career where, you know, I can make music that I want. I can look back at my catalog and and be proud of those songs and, and not have to be embarrassed or my kids are in the room they don't have to turn off daddy's <laughs> videos because they got you know big booty hoes in there mm-hmm. um because i'm using too much language in there and um so i think that's a real key point is, is having that balance and and the other part about the movie is is family and for me family's a key part whether it's 
it doesn't just have to be about having kids, but having a great relationship with whether it's your parents, whether it's your aunts and uncles, grandparents, that's something that's always been strong with me. So I think it's about obtaining that balance for whatever you do. Anything else that you still like to add? I think we got it all, man. I mean, <laughs> we, we went pretty deep there. I, I couldn't go any deeper than that. <laughs> I appreciate catching up with you again. Uh, wish you all the best of the rest of the year. And I suppose it's your planning so far ahead. Best of luck in 2016, too. Yeah, for sure. But, I mean, you know it's always going to be on the Come Up Show. Well, there you have it. If you want to know more about D.O., you can go to thecomeupshow.com. We've got interviews plus music videos and album reviews there. If you enjoyed the show, help us out. Subscribe on iTunes. Follow us on SoundCloud. We're trying to get those numbers up. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at The Come Up Show. Repost it on SoundCloud. Share it wherever you can. Shout it from the mountaintop. If you listen from this far, I appreciate you. If you haven't listened to our other podcasts, make sure you check them out. Once again, I'm Martin Bauman. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time. Thank you.